What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Exchange. We're going to have instant analysis of what we just heard from Gunlock, some recessionary signals in the markets this morning, and stocks at session lows. We'll get to that in just one moment. Here's what else is coming up this hour. The earnings season that reshaped big tech. We speak to the Dean of Valuation with the names he likes now, the one name that surprised him the most, and the one he won't touch no matter how depressed prices may get. Plus, an under-the-radar mortgage company that actually benefits from rising rates. While other lenders are struggling, this stock is up more than 40% in the past year. The CEO joins us live. And you won't believe the names that Danielle Shea is bailing on today in her post-earnings, mostly post-earnings edition of Three Buys and a Bail. First, though, let's get to Dom Chu. This market setup taking an ugly turn here. You, you alluded to it. We are near session lows right now in the stock market overall, and one that's been predominantly a mixed story. It was weaker earlier on, then we saw some strength in the mid-morning session, and then weak again. We're now down 141 points for the Nasdaq Composite, 14,044, or thereabouts the last trade there, down about 1%. The S&P is down one half of 1%. 24 points to the downside, 44.79 the last trade there. And the Dow Industrial is down roughly 70 to 75 points, about a quarter of 1% decline, 35,170. Where there has been a lot more focus as of late because of the valuations that Kelly was just talking about has been in technology, specifically with semiconductor stocks like Advanced Micro, Xilinx, and NVIDIA, each among the worst performers, as you can see in the S&P 500 right now. Also, cloud computing-type stocks, software-related names like ServiceNow and Salesforce.com. You can see off about 3 to 3.5% three as well. Keep an eye on those key parts of the tech sector, clouds and semiconductor stocks. And then check out these ones because it's not all gloom and doom out there. Over the course of the last week, check out Marriott International and Expedia, both up 7%, and the Invesco Dynamic Leisure and Entertainment ETF, a big reopening trade, is up about 6% right now. I get to draw the big gold stars next to Marriott and next to Expedia because both of those travel-related stocks hit record highs today, have been record highs so far this week. So travel stocks continue to catch a bid. We'll see if that continues. Kel, back over to you. All right, Dom. Actually, stay right there if you would, Mr. Chu. Consumer sentiment this morning dropped to the worst level in a decade, and it's the second major data point lately that's concerning markets about a recession. Remember, we started the day with the yield curve flattening again, the twos, tens differential under 40 basis points. Here's what noted investor Jeff Gunlock said about these recessionary signals just a short while ago. We're starting to get some recessionary indicators and some recessionary uh, views, which last time we spoke, uh, Scott, there was just nothing about recession. It was all about stimulus. But as we talked about, what's been feeding everything is the stimulus. And it's very odd that we're talking about perhaps five interest rate increases and you're querying me about a 50 basis point hike at the next meeting at the same time as the Fed is still doing quantitative easing. It's really kind of remarkable. Uh, I think the Fed should have stopped quantitative easing, uh, uh, not next week, not tomorrow, not yesterday, but a year ago. And what we're seeing is the consequence of all this excessive stimulus. 
Joining me now for some more reaction and analysis is Peter Bookvar. He's the CEO of Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Peter, welcome. And this really is a strange moment, like Gunlock alluded to, because on the one hand, those of, of you, and I, again, credit you for warning about some of the inflation that we are going to face here, we're seeing all of these signals of this being a true problem, and we're also seeing signs of a slowing economy. What is this going to mean for markets? Hi, Kelly. Well, it, we're reminded that the consumer pretty much dominates the U.S. economy. So as they go, so goes the economy. And inflation and falling real wages is already immediately crimping uh, the, the attitude out there as seen in the, in, the, in the confidence numbers you said. And now we're also getting sticker shock with respect to the sharp rise in home prices and, and cars, which were also key components of the Michigan number, where at least on the vehicle side, Going back to the 1970s, we've never seen such a low intention to buy a car. So we have no choice but to talk about recession. But keep in mind also is that monetary policy itself will likely put us into recession because we don't have normal economic cycles anymore. We have credit cycles that ebb and flow with the cost of capital. And now that the cost of capital is going up, even though historically speaking, it's still very low on an absolute basis, the rate of change is already changing mentality. I was reading an article in the Financial, Financial Times today saying that the IPO market is beginning to tighten up hmm. and companies have to start looking for private financing uh, instead of the public markets. You know, Dom, if I wanted, I could go through and say, OK, yeah, but in other words, yes, the yield curve is flattening considerably, but the Fed might be holding down the long end by a point and a half, depending on estimates. Yes, the consumer sentiment data was terrible, but a lot of it was people who make over $100,000, interestingly. Yeah, so that's a key point about this University of Michigan study. It's always a little bit more volatile. It's different than, say, the conference board surveys, survey results and whatnot. But what was curious and the big caveat, the context around that big drop in sentiment to these multi-year lows was driven pretty much entirely by a drop in sentiment among those respondents who make $100,000 a year or more. So it tilts more towards the upper middle class and affluent side of these survey respondents. Now, ostensibly, you can talk a little bit about the inflation picture and everything else being part of that story. But if you start to connect the dots... If you do have survey respondents making more than six figures or, or at least that amount, it maybe tends to lead you to this idea that those people may have more exposure to things like the stock market. So on a sentiment perspective, if inflation is driving interest rates higher and interest rate higher, interest rates going higher are driving the stock market lower, perhaps, then that sentiment is it's kind of like a circular, vicious cycle type effect right. where those people are the ones who are driving a lot of the sentiment lower. As opposed, you could argue, to the broader public, which is also feeling the inflationary pinch. So, Peter, you know, tell me what you think this all means for the Fed as people are scrambling to up the number of rate hikes that the Fed has to do this year, while at the same time we're getting these yield curve signals and consumer sentiment signals that tell you what exactly? What, what does the central bank need to do here? Well, the, the, the curve is certainly a reflection of what they think the Fed will do to the economy. I mean, that, that, it's always paid to steepen the curve when the Fed is easing and to flatten when the Fed is tightening because we know the inevitable result. So the, it's somewhat for the Fed to look at the curve and say, okay, maybe we should not raise rates. Well, it's somewhat circular because it's the market's belief of their rate hikes on the short end that is resulting in this flattening. Now, with respect to uh, QE and how that influences the curve, it's tricky also because in theory you'd say, okay, if the Fed is going to stop buying bonds, if they're going to shrink their balance sheet, long rates would rise. 
But if we saw after QE1 and QE2, the exact opposite happened. When QE turned on, rates actually went up. When it turned off, rates went down. So it's, it's, it's an impossible situation that they put themselves in. And the question now is, is what level of pain are they willing to tolerate, both in terms of economic activity and where the markets go, before they get spooked? But because of the elevated level of inflation, even though it will slow on a rate of change basis, it's still going to leave them very little flexibility uh, to, to react to try to could, you know, pull Peter, back. Could we have an environment where maybe the Fed hikes rates a little bit less than expected this year, what have you? We have, you know, a quarter or two of really sluggish growth and we still have four to five percent inflation. Right. We, we need to throw out the playbooks from last cycle and and tell me what kind of environment we could be talking about here. It sounds a little stagflationary. It is. And I see us. I see the Fed reaching a fork in the road where inflation still remains elevated, but markets are down, financial conditions have tightened, and growth is slow, and they're going to have to make a decision. Do they keep interest rates well below the rate of inflation, therefore still deeply negative real interest rates, or do they get spooked by economic growth in the markets and then back off, which then can sacrifice the dollar and then can further exaggerate the inflationary um, pressures on the upside. Exactly. It, it's a quandary. It really is. It's, this is a fascinating period right now. Uh, Peter, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Peter Bookvar with some analysis. Dom, thank thanks you very, very much as me. well. Our Dom Chu with some reaction here today. Let's turn back to some of the details, the granularity of the valuations in this market right now as all of this swirls around. Joining me now is the Dean of Valuation, Aswat Demoter, and he's NYU Stern School of Business professor and author. We love having you on the show. Can I pick your brain a little bit about our, the discussion we just had? I mean, what would your your years of following mm-hmm. markets tell you, or maybe would you want to tell investors about the period we're, we're about to enter? Uh, it, it reminds me of the the song from Encanto, but basically with the Fed replacing Bruno. I think we, we're talking too much about the Fed. I think the reality is interest rates are rising with or without the Fed. The Fed has to go along and make it look like they're in control, but if inflation stays at 4 to 5%, there is no universe where rates are going to stay at 2%. So I think part of this, uh, part of the reason the Fed is acting the way it is, it realizes the game is very quickly getting out of control. What are the options that it faces here? How do they try to manage the situation, you know, the best way possible? I think what they have to do is accept the fact that inflation is a real problem. As long as we dance around this, I don't think we're going to be able to deal with it. And the mistake they made was for the bulk of the last year, They played games around inflation. It's transitory. It's a passing phase. It's supply chains. But it's here. And the problem with inflation is once it's here, it's very difficult to put back in the bottle. You have to hope it's not too late, that the the only way to put it back is to put put the economy into a recession, perhaps a deep one. Because historically, that's been the only way to bring inflation back under control. There is no easy path here. Do you think that's what the markets are signaling, that the Fed has to pursue tightening? and that that's what the effect of it will be. In fact, I'll make a prediction. Even if the FOMC comes back and says there's no rate change, there might be a little positive uptick on that, but markets are going to go back looking at the fundamentals and say interest rates are going up with or without the Fed. Hmm. And if interest rates are going up, do you think that could happen even if the economy slows for a period of time? It, it's, a, it's a question of how much it slows. I mean, if it slows enough, and that's why I said one cure for inflation is something we've never wanted, which is a deep recession, I mean, that could cure inflation, but at what cost? You've killed the patient in the process. 
So, Aswa, then boil this down for me for people who are exposed to stocks and want to be in areas still that maybe are reflationary, have pricing power. Financials obviously are in the crossroads here between the flattening yield curve, but positive prospects if the cycle continues. What, where do you want to be in this market, given the warnings that you're sounding here? I, I think we need, you know, the first thing is I'd say keep perspective, which is even if you lose 15 percent of your portfolio, if you've been in the market for the last three, four, five years, I mean, you're giving back only half the returns you made last year. So I think people tend to often look at what's happened in the last three weeks and six weeks. So first, I would suggest keeping a, a, lo- a longer term perspective, saying it's easy come, easy go. You made a lot of money easily for a few years. Now you're going to give up some of that money. So I think that you have to you have to concede that some of your returns that you've earned over the last few years is going to go away. The second is to the extent that you have money that you can move around, the only protection is to move away from financial assets. There are no safe places in the financial asset markets. You've got to move to real assets, you know, and to the extent that you can find them, whether it's real estate or commodities. And I know gold, people beat up on it, but there's a reason gold has kind of had a place in people's portfolios, something collectible, which you, which is more likely to hold up its value when inflation kicks in. Which would argue for the housing market having more legs to it. Um, anything else you'd put in there? I mean, some might say, OK, that's why I'm in crypto, but it's behaved somewhat like a financial asset. I would say you know, commodity stocks are probably the closest you can get within the financial asset market to having a real asset investment in your portfolio. I would say, you know, increase your loadings and commodity stocks. And as you mentioned, there are some companies that, if not immune to inflation, are able to pass through inflation. In fact, we're going to talk about the Fangam stocks. One reason I still like them is every one of these those companies has pricing power. And that pricing power is going to be a best tool when you're faced with inflation being higher than expected. Well, we would leave it there and dig more into that next time, Oswath. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really great to have you here on a day like this. Thank you. Appreciate it. Aswath Demoter and joining me, NYU Stern School of Business. All right. Let's now dig in a little bit deeper to some of the stock movers, shall we say, in this market. To say that shares of a firm have sunk in the past two days would be an understatement. It's down 9 percent today. It was down 22 percent yesterday. And the firm is now 72 percent off its 52-week high. Now, all of this goes back to earnings. They were worse than expected. CEO Max Levchin telling CNBC this morning he remains bullish as they add new users and transactions continue to rise. Joining me now is Dan Dulov. He's senior research analyst at Mizuho. Dan, it's great to have you here. Uh, it's a little tricky to talk about why a firm should be a buy when Oswath just told us to get out of stocks and buy, you know, real assets. But uh, <laughs> please give me your thoughts on, on their turnaround story here. Yeah, I know. And I have tremendous respect for Aswath. I mean, I've read his books. I mean, we all grew up on him. So, I mean, I, I, it's hard to, to uh, it, it's a hard one to, to, to make a pitch. But I would, I would look at what happened yesterday. I would look at what firm is, right? A firm is a category leader in a disruptive market, right? So what they're doing is they're basically creating an alternative to credit. There's a lot of people who are using it. There's growing demand. You see, they opened it up on Amazon. Everyone's using it, right? Like hundreds of billions of dollars of volume millions of dollars of volume on Amazon within a month, right? So you're getting uh, people that want to use it. And I think that that being the category leader in a uh, fast-growing secular uh, trend is more powerful than the stock is reflecting today. Tell me about the charge-offs, though, which are rising. This is a new category. A lot of people think it's just being taken advantage of by consumers and there could be more regulatory crackdown. So, you know, like we've seen this before, and this is a great point you're making. We did a survey uh, 
few a few months ago, and and we we actually saw that a lot of there's a lot more delinquencies out there. You're seeing that, and the charge of the charge offs as a percent of the the loan sale for sale are actually uh, get you know creeping up. I think that you know I would take their word for it that, that they can actually control this, right? So what they would do is basically if they see that this is becoming too big of a problem, they would actually restrain the supply, right? Because there's no problem with demand. People will just take the product. The product they'll restrain the supply, and then the charges will will come under control. And one last thing I wanted to say is that you know you're really seeing that with the uh, you know with their uh, delinquencies, it's starting to kind of go back downwards, right? So I think that people didn't pay enough attention to it. It went up, and now it's starting to come back down. And, and I think Max said earlier it's below 2019 levels. So I think people are panicking maybe too much hmm. on, on a firm today. Could you give a final thought if we are in this rising rate environment of one type or another here for the rest of the year? We've seen the impact already that's had on a lot of high valuation tech stocks, but what would you add in terms of the impact on the stocks that you cover, including a firm? In terms of stuff that, that we like in this, in this from, area? From higher rates, you know, how should we expect that to continue to play out both in the actual business models of these companies and also in the way the market treats them? Yeah, so I, I think we would, you know, I would, I, I would, it wouldn't be a secret to say it's very good to to focus on names that are actually not, um, you know, not highly valued. The firm is a category leader, and we still like it a lot, right? And I think they're going to win at the end. But if you think about names like Pfizer or or Fidelity, FIS, right? Those are names, or, or even Wex, right, which mm. does fuel cards. Those are names that are in deep value territory right now. They are very solid. They're growing, you know. 10%, 11%, 12%, and, and there's no risk to them. There's no balance sheet risk there. I would own these names like any day. Very, very interesting. We appreciate that, Dan. Again, a firm you do think could double from here, price target of 100. Dan DeLev from Mizuho, thank you for your time. Thank you. And coming up, it's no secret that energy has enjoyed a huge run going back to last January. The XLE ETF has nearly doubled in that time. Up next, we'll get some picks to play the red hot rally as supply pressures push prices higher. Plus, three buys and a bail is back with a vengeance. And our trader has one name she is staying away from, despite the stock tracking for its best week in over a year. The name and the reason next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back, everybody. Sticking with our inflation theme today, oil continues its climb, rallying again as we head towards $92 a barrel once again. And in fact, every component of the S&P energy sector is up by more than 9% since January. Joining me now is Stan Major. He's portfolio manager of the Hotchkiss and Wiley Midcap Value Fund. Stan, it's great to have you back. And again, this environment seems to be playing right into your hands. 
Yeah, it's great to be back, Kelly. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, and I think it's important to point out to people why you think, you know, I'd, I'd put you on the in the camp of more of Goldman and the rest who are saying we're so tight in energy markets that we shouldn't rule out the possibility of going over 100 a barrel. Could you update your view since we last spoke? I mean, where do you think we're going now? Sure. So the last time we spoke, we talked about some of the similar things we're going to talk about today, which are you know, demand is coming back. It's pretty strong. Uh, we have a very healthy economy. There's been a lot of liquidity pumped into the system. We're seeing inflation. Things are very strong. So pre-pandemic, we were about 100 million barrels a day of supply and demand. Uh, in the not-too-distant future, demand might be 102, 103 million barrels. I don't think those are crazy assumptions. The issue is the world has never supplied 102 or 103 million barrels a day. And one of the issues that compounds that is there's been a number of years of underinvestment. So we're asking the world to produce more than it's ever produced at a time when it hasn't spent enough to do that. Right. And we're seeing the signs of that already. And some of the names that you like in this environment, Cosmos Energy, ticker KOS, Murphy, ticker MUR, I mean, these are 30% higher since Jan 1. So there is this absolute upward whoosh, which is not great for consumers. So the question that I would now ask is, do you get worried when, as Peter Bookvar pointed out, intentions for buying a car are at like a 40-year low right now, consumer sentiment just slipped, people are unhappy about the gasoline prices that we're already seeing. Could demand destruction become a headwind for energy performance? Sure. So I think a, co a couple of things. The most important thing about investing is the price you pay for the asset that you're buying. And when you look at Cosmos or Murphy or a lot of energy stocks, they don't price in $90 a barrel oil. So we talked about why oil prices could go a lot higher. But equities in, in energy, you know, these stocks are pricing in well below $65 a barrel of oil. So if you think about those two companies, Cosmos has probably a 20% free cash flow yield. If oil prices were to fall, uh, Murphy's about 15%. In the case of both companies, on top of that, how inexpensive they are, Cosmos has a fantastic LNG asset. We think that asset, which is not in that free cash flow, uh, is probably worth two-thirds of the current share price, so you're getting another $3 for free. Yeah. In the case of Murphy, they have some exploration in Brazil, which could be a company maker. You're getting that for free. So energy equities are very, very inexpensive, especially relative to crude oil. So in other words, even if Ed Morse at City is correct, and we spoke with him yesterday, and he said oil could be at 60, 65 at the end of the year, that's still a scenario in which these companies that you like could perform well. Would you just kind of offer a parting thought as a market watcher for a long time here? I mean, this environment where the Fed's going to have to figure out which and how many rate hikes to do, how much liquidity to drain from the balance sheet, and what to make of some of these worrisome signals from the yield curve and otherwise— you know, what kind of performance should we expect energy to have? Does it remain a, a standout and a stalwart? Yeah, I think it does. The valuations are the most inexpensive in the market. It doesn't price in the scenarios that we've been talking about. So I, I think it's probably going to be the best performing part of the market. It's, it's very hard to find things at five or six times earnings or free cash flow. Um, yet you can do that in energy and you can do it on a, on a commodity price deck that's nowhere near the, where it currently is. Very interesting. Stan, thanks for joining us today. It's good to see you. Thank you, Kelly. Stan Major with the Hotchkiss and Wiley Midcap Value Fund.
Still ahead, we'll check on the pulse of the economy from the C-suite. We're going to look at the housing market with the CEO of Mr. Cooper Group. They're a mortgage company as rates hit 4%. Newell Brands as well, the company behind big names like Rubbermaid, Yankee Candle, and Crockpot will give us a check on the consumer as they experience the, the exchange. is back in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We're near session lows on the markets, pretty much at them right now. In fact, the Dow's down 108 points, the S&P's down 29, and the Nasdaq's down 154. So we'll keep an eye on this into the close. Checking on the sectors for the week, materials and financials are the leaders. Communication services is your biggest laggard. Let's get to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden has narrowed his list of Supreme Court candidates to three. NBC News reports that they are D.C. Circuit Judge Contanja Brown-Jackson, California Supreme Court Justice Leandra Kruger, and J. Michelle Childs, a federal district court judge in South Carolina. In Canada, meantime, Ontario's premier has declared a state of emergency over the anti-COVID protests that have disrupted Ottawa and border crossings with the U.S., he is threatening fines and jail terms if the truckers don't leave, saying it is a pivotal moment for Canada. The eyes of the world are upon us right now. And what they are seeing is not who we are. It's not what Canada is about. This is not how we try to change things here in Canada. We do it through the ballot box. Because we are Canadian and we are better than that. President Emmanuel Macron is calling for calm as French freedom convoys converge on Paris. The government says that their right to protest is protected, but they have no right to set up blockades. And in other news tonight on the news, an inside look at how UPS ships 3,000 tons of flowers from Latin America to the U.S. for Valentine's Day. Kelly? All right, Rahel, thank you. Ahead on the exchange, finding value in the wreckage. My next guest brings three stocks she says will prevail as the dust settles and the one big name she started shorting. Danielle Shea joins us with her three buys and a bail. Actually, a couple bails. That's next. Welcome back, everybody. The Dow is trying for a third straight week of gains, while the S&P and Nasdaq are dipping into the red. So where are the buys, and what's one name to stay away from after all the volatility we've seen? Joining me now is Simpler Trading Director of Options, Danielle Shea, and she has three buys and a bail, or two or three for us today. Danielle, welcome. It's great to see you, and let's start with Ulta Beauty. Shares are actually down 10% to start the year. Why do you like it? 
So, you know, I love looking for strong companies that are strong on a technical basis and fundamentally and fit the macro story. Ulta is perfect right here. It's sitting on the 200 simple. It has earnings coming up. They've seen really consistent growth and they have huge brands. They have the Kardashians as well as Kylie Jenner makeup there. I'm looking for this to trade higher going into earnings, and I also don't think it's going to be hit by the interest rate narrative. All right. You like Ulta. You also like Ford, which that one's been, it was really good for a while last year. It's had a tougher start to the year now. Why pick it up here? I think it's a perfect time to pick it up here because it has faded from last year. Everyone was buying it last year, you know, probably up at the highs when news was coming out about the Ford Lightning. But right now, what we're seeing is it's pulled back about 24% from those highs, giving investors a discount. Ford is having problems with a semiconductor shortage, but they still have really high demand and their new factories are going to be able to produce a lot more vehicles next year. They've also just announced a dividend. So, you know, you can see that earnings are going well, and I think we're going to see a lot of future growth in this name. All right. So you see momentum behind Ulta and Ford and also Cloudflare. That's one that we saw a nice run up last year. All of a sudden it hit, you know, some tougher slog along with the rest of the market. Uh, They actually just Do they just report earnings? Tell me about Cloudflare, why you like it. So, you know, I love to look for strong companies post earnings and with Cloudflare in particular, the cybersecurity space is set to continue to grow at an exponential rate in the coming years, especially because of work from home. Um, And this is just a space that has increasing need. And the reason why I like Cloudflare is because it's not one of the top names that you think of, and they have a lot of potential for high growth, especially because they have noted over the course of the last five years, they've been growing about 52% each year, and they finally got to break even on earnings two quarters in a row. So I think that because the valuation has come down substantially, it's going to give investors a much better entry than what they would have had last year when this stock was hot. All right. Now let's get to your bails because they're kind of juicy today. This is not, you know, Zoom and Peloton you're bailing on. You're bailing on Disney. You're bailing on Adobe. You're bailing on Salesforce. So with Disney, let's start there, Danielle. What do you think is wrong with the stock right now? So first of all, I just want to note that I am going to hold my long-term shares in the name because I think long-term it makes sense to continue to hold on to this company. But as a trader, I think that this is great to short right here because it just came out with a fantastic earnings report and it's traded directly into resistance. What we've seen this quarter are strong companies that have had explosive moves and those moves immediately fade. Hmm. So while I'm holding my long-term stock, I'm just selling the calls on a short-term basis for a post earnings fade. And what does that tell you, the reaction? You know, because we have focused a lot the next day for Microsoft and some of these others, but all of a sudden in the couple of weeks as the dust settles, you say they're they're trending lower again. Yes, they absolutely are. And I think that's a huge um, concerning point for the stock market right here, because when you have companies like Microsoft and Google and Amazon have these phenomenal moves on earnings and those moves fade immediately, it's a bad sign. And that's why I'm looking at the upcoming reports in some cloud companies, Adobe and Salesforce, because these are already hanging out down on their lows and these stocks look ready to break any moment. So again, as a long-term investor, you know, I am going to hold Adobe shares and I am going to hold Salesforce shares, but I think they're going lower right about now. They're about to break current lows. And I think it's a good short-term short as a trader. Very interesting. And when would you exit that trade or that position? 
So for Adobe in particular, it's sitting right at about 485. I think you could trade it down to about 450. Salesforce, it's sitting around uh, current prices around 200. Let's see, where are we at on Salesforce? Yeah, 210 right now. Thank you. So I'm targeting about 175 on Salesforce, and I'm particularly concerned about this upcoming report because if you look at the way that Salesforce um, failed last quarter on earnings and gap down, I mean, this quarter, if we get another gap lower, it could really bring in some substantially lower prices. Very, very interesting. A lot to think about, Danielle. As always, we love having you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Danielle Shea, three buys and really three bails today. Coming up, rising rates are putting pressure on the mortgage lenders. Loan Depot down 80% in the past year or so. Rocket and UVM also seeing sharp declines. But there's one stock in the group that stands out, up 18% on earnings today, up 60% in the past year, and it benefits from higher rates. The name and the CEO next. Welcome back, everybody. I'm glad we have it behind me because we're talking about the jump in yields. But just to be aware, the 10-year is plunging a little bit in the past couple of minutes here. We'll bring you more information if we know what's going on there. Nevertheless, around 2%, it's been a big boost to mortgage rates above 4%, not necessarily helping the lending sector as much as you might think. Diana Olick is here with more for us. Diana? Well, Kelly, this move was both important and also kind of emotional for home buyers out there before the spring market. The average on the 30-year fixed crossed over into that 4% range yesterday. It's now around 4.02, according to Mortgage News Daily. That is well over a full percentage point higher than it was just a year ago. Rising rates have been hitting mortgage demand hard. With applications to refinance now down about half about what the year were a year ago, and loans for home buyers also down 12% from a year ago. There was a burst of buying demand in January, but that may have leveled off. Perhaps people afraid rates would go higher. That appears to be waning now. Now, what the mortgage lenders, not what the mortgage lenders want to see. So take a look at names like Rocket, Loan Depot, United Wholesale Mortgage. These three went public during the pandemic when they were seeing huge demand due to falling rates. Now, refinancing in the fall of 2020 was up close to 50% from 2019. There was also a huge surge in home buying. So all of those stocks are well into the red now. Finance, mortgage finance, finance of America mortgage, that is, went public back in May of 2019, pre-pandemic, had a spurt and now way down as well. Loan Depot CEO told us last week that the company would be downsizing, laying off workers. Others are already doing the same. Kelly? You're just so fascinating. Good day, and we appreciate it. One mortgage lender that could actually benefit from higher rates, Mr. Cooper Group. That mystery stock we mentioned earlier, up big today, 17% to record highs after a strong earnings report. The company saying it funded over 60,000 loans in the last quarter. And since half of its revenue comes from servicing loans, rising rates could be a boost for the bottom line. Jay Bray joins me now. He is the CEO and chairman of Mr. Cooper Group. Jay, welcome. Do we have it right here that you guys could benefit from rising rates? Absolutely, Kelly. I mean, the kind of our business model is very balanced and the servicing business is a huge component. And we think about the servicing business with rising rates, it increases the value of our assets. And so we announced today that, you know, where rates are or where they were earlier, you know, we were up 400 million. The value of our assets were up 400 million. And it also helps the profitability of the servicing business. So having a balance between origination and servicing uh, you know, is a real differentiator for us. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to keep leaning in that direction? Because as we've seen what's happening to the other lenders right now, it's not a pretty picture. No, you know, look, 
the origination volume, no doubt, is down. But we've always been a, you know, we're the third largest servicer in the country. We're the largest non-bank servicer in the country. And we've said, look, we're marching towards a trillion dollars in servicing. We're $710 billion now. And we see the path to get there. I mean, we're actually growing our portfolio in a considerable manner. And we see, you know, 15% plus growth this year in that portfolio. Yeah. So if we talk about mortgage rates going up, you know, from here and people really being able to unafford home buying, how much of a headwind could that be for you? Well, our model, again, is not really uh, home buying or purchase centric. It is, again, more balanced with servicing and with, you know, we have a, a big portfolio of customers that we can help. That's one of our the strongest components of the company is that we can help our existing customers. And if you look at how much home price appreciation has gone up, you know, just since the pandemic, I think 28%, there's a lot of customers that can benefit from a cash out refinance. So that is another big reason that we're a different company and can really, I think, help our customers and continue to grow despite the interest rate environment. It's a great point. I was just talking to someone about that earlier today. I absolutely expect that to take off. Jay, thanks for yeah. joining us, explaining the business. We appreciate it. Sure. Happy Jay Bray is you. the CEO and chairman of Mr. Cooper Group. We have some breaking news on Pfizer's COVID vaccine. Let's bring in Meg Terrell for that story. Meg? Hey, Kelly. Well, everybody was waiting this morning for Pfizer and the FDA to put out data on the COVID vaccine for kids under age five. Now, the FDA and Pfizer are saying that is all going to be delayed as they wait for the third dose data in this trial, essentially back to the original plan. But we had been expecting that we were going to see data on two doses this morning because both Pfizer and uh, federal health officials had signaled there were enough data because of the Omicron surge to show that two doses uh, make a big difference here. However, according to both the agency and the company, there more data has emerged suggesting they should wait uh, to see that third dose. So they're delaying the FDA advisory committee meeting that had been set for Tuesday. Uh, Pfizer saying in a statement, quote, given that the study is advancing at a rapid pace, the companies will wait for the three dose data as Pfizer and BioNTech continue to believe it may provide a higher level of protection in this age group. Uh, so this is disappointing for a lot of parents who were waiting for this and expected this to happen pretty soon. But there was also a lot of controversy about this strategy as it had been said three doses were needed. Then it seemed like we were moving forward with two. Uh, so now we're back to three, but there will continue to be a lot of questions about this, guys. And the FDA is having a briefing in about 15 minutes, so we'll bring you more when we get it. So Kelly. just to be clear, Meg, they're not saying they're not going to have a vaccine for this age group. They just think they're going to have to submit it as a three-dose one, not a two-dose? Yeah, absolutely. And so we had been expecting the three-dose data by the end of March, early April. It sounds like they're accruing those data fairly quickly, so perhaps we'll see them over the next few weeks and then things will proceed. But we'd been talking and the CDC had been preparing vaccine providers to have this as soon as President's Day, and that's not going to happen now. All right, Meg, thank you so much. Our Meg Terrell with the latest there is keep an eye on shares of Pfizer, which have dipped to session lows. Speaking of session lows, some concerns about movements uh, in Ukraine by Russia. PBS reporting uh, some details that they believe could be involved with this issue next week. I don't want to say too much um, here. We're obviously all all of us in the media trying to confirm what exactly may be happening in this very delicate issue. The Dow is down 440 points right now. The S&P is down 75. The Nasdaq's down 316. And the 10-year yield, as you can see there, really has plunged back below 2%. Uh, we'll follow all of it for you, bring you all the latest developments that we can in just a moment.
Welcome back, everybody. One thing after another for these markets. Uh, this is the tweet from PBS discussing what they think uh, could be happening in the Russia-Ukraine situation. That's why we've seen stocks go to fresh session lows and even bond yields move lower. Nick Schifrin, who's a correspondent for the PBS NewsHour, says the U.S. believes Putin has decided to invade Ukraine and has communicated that decision to the Russian military. That's according to three Western and defense officials. So there you have the move that at 1.28 p.m., that tweet went out about 20 minutes ago. Uh, you can see, again, the market reaction across stocks and across bonds. And if you're looking for safe havens these days amid all the volatility, you might want to turn to what we're calling the dividend aristocrats. Dom Chu is here with more. Dom? All right. So it wasn't that long ago, Kelly, we were talking about the S&P 500 dividend yield being greater than the yield on 10-year U.S. government debt. That's now flipped around, that narrative, because the 10-year is yielding 2%. And right now, the S&P 500 dividend yield is roughly 1.4%. So those rising interest rates have put renewed focus on generating income. So is there a relative safety trade for both income and capital preservation that's in the stock market? We know stocks go up and down, but maybe on a relative basis. Now, to that end, we looked at some of the strongest and most consistent dividend payers out there, the so-called S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, the ones that have paid and grown dividends for the last 20 plus years. We looked for those ones and then saw which ones pay above a 2% yield, which is currently the rate on 10-year treasuries, and have seen the least relative volatility between their 52-week lows and their 52-week highs, or the least amount of variance, so to speak, between those. If you take a look at that, five stocks fit the bill. We're talking consumer staples companies like Colgate Palmolive and Kimberly Clark. They've both seen the smallest, per, the smallest percentage change between their recent lows and recent highs, just around 16%, as you can see there. And Colgate Palmolive is yielding 2.3%, Kimberly Clark about 3.5%. You've also got Johnson & Johnson with a 19% variance and a 2.5% yield. And meanwhile, Amcor has a 4.1% yield and a 25% variance. And then Hormel Foods, about a 2.2% yield and a 25% variance as well. So if you take a look at some of those names, in the stock market overall, stocks will always go up and down. There's no guarantee that they'll stay stable like risk-free treasuries. But if you're looking for a stock that you want to get into that maybe has less volatility, those names might fit the bill, Kelly. All right, Tom, thank you very much. Again, the Dow down about 465 points here this afternoon as PBS is reporting that U.S. officials believe Russian President Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. And they have communicated that decision, he reports, to the Russian military. That's according to three Western and defense officials. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. We've seen a very different market picture play out here over the past 20 minutes' time. About 20 minutes ago, a PBS correspondent tweeted out news that the U.S. believes Putin has a, is planning an invasion of Ukraine there's more details that are starting to come out about what may or may not be taking place. The market's uncertain, but we're actually off session lows right now. The Dow is down about 450 points as we were starting to digest these headlines. We're down 380 points, as you can see right now, or about a 1% drop. Prior to that news coming out, the Dow was only down about 100, 150 points. So it definitely changed the tone in markets. The S&P's down 66. The Nasdaq down almost 300. Bond yields have also tanked lower, while energy prices are spiking. Bob Bassani is down at the New York Stock Exchange with more for us. Bob? And the important thing, uh, Kelly, is that the initial reaction, of course, is basically, 
lighten up on virtually everything. So the good news is we lost about 50 points very, very quickly on the S&P 500. We dropped down to about 44.25. And we've since stabilized a little bit. As you can see, we've regained some of those losses now. So we're off of the lows. But that was a pretty quick uh, drop there. And if you look at what dropped, well, just about everything except something like oil stocks, which makes sense. So technology stocks, uh, all drop uh, about 10%. If you put up the S&P tech sector, you see that went straight down very, very quickly. Uh, big, broad industrial stocks, uh, the Honeywells, uh, the Caterpillars, uh, the 3Ms of the world that have very, very broad global uh, exposure. Uh, they all dropped about 1%, and they've also stabilized uh, a little bit in the last three or four minutes. Uh, you'd think utilities might be a safe play since they're mostly United States stocks, but no, again, this is because of how broad this knee-jerk reaction is. Utilities actually even moved down quickly. What didn't? Uh, think of oil. Uh, oil went from $92 to $94 fairly quickly. Uh, so stocks like Occidental Petroleum are actually up a little bit. Uh, the XLE, which is the energy uh, ETF, uh, is uh, up slightly, not dramatically, but there you see oil going from $92 to $0.94. Cents. So energy is the one sector. And the other one, of course, uh, would be gold, which also uh, moved a little bit to the upside uh, as a classic safe haven play. So the good news is we've stabilized here. The bad news is we really don't know uh, much more than what Kelly was telling us. And I think the market is sort of waiting for any more information or indeed anything that might indicate uh, that, uh, that uh, there may be another way of looking at this or that it may not be happening. Obviously, we don't know. So the market's sort of holding its breath right now. Kelly, back to you. And Bob, we may get more information actually from the White House in just a couple minutes' time. So in the meantime, we have seen the Dow slide back towards session lows once again. And some are saying for an, uh, an event of this magnitude, Bob, that the, they would expect the market reaction to be more sizable. Yeah, I think the the problem here is the market has sort of come to believe that something like this is really very unlikely, that the calculation that he would make, given how difficult it would be, mm -hmm. uh, would be un lead to the idea that he's unlikely to go ahead and do it this do this. That's at least what most people I talk to on the market side believe. Now, as you hear, this may be wishful thinking, uh, but I, I think a lot of people are still having a hard time believing that this would actually come to come to pass, given how uh, potentially awful and, and bloody such a conflict could possibly be. It's kind of hard to imagine any kind of conventional conflict uh, because we haven't had something of this scale threatened in a very long time. So we'll obviously people are trying to evaluate exactly what's going on here yeah. uh, and figuring out. But you're right. The market wants to believe that it's not going to happen. And if it does, I think you'll get even uh, a more notable reaction even. Here again is what we've had reported from Nick Schifrin at the PBS NewsHour in the past half hour or so, that the U.S. believes Russian President Vladimir Putin has decided to invade Ukraine. The U.S. expects the invasion to begin next week. U.S. officials anticipate, again, and Nick, uh, in the reporter's words, a horrific, bloody campaign with two days of aerial bombardment and electronic warfare, followed by an invasion with the possible goal of regime change. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 